0: five, the first seven verses of first Peter chapter five. And I I normally don't do this, but I, I would like to read these seven verses this morning. And as I'm reading them, especially for those of you that were here last week, or you listened to last Sunday's message on podcast, I want you to go back to the thought that Peter gave us last week about we are God's workmanship, we are God's masterpiece. He is He is creating this this you know wonderful work of art with each of our lives. And what Peter's going to do today is remind us of, of several key ways that God works in our lives. And and it's just a reminder of allowing God. To work and to do what God wants to do in each of us. And so that's where Peter is headed. He's continuing his thought about us being a work of God, uh, a work of art of the divine artist, if you will. But he's going to now begin to tell us about the ways in which God works. And he actually starts out in 1 Peter 5 by talking to the leadership of local churches, because in Peter's mind, one of the great ways that God works in our lives is through our local church, and especially through the leaders, if we are the leaders that God calls us to be. So notice what he says. He says, so as your fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, and as one who shares in the glory that will be revealed, I urge the elders among you, Spiritual leaders, we could say. Give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you. Exercising oversight, not merely as a duty, but willingly under God's direction. Not for shameful profit, but eagerly. And do not lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. Then when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that never fades away. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand, by casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Notice in these seven verses, again, the emphasis on our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationship to our spiritual leadership, the spiritual leadership's relationship to the flock of God that's been entrusted to them. And again, that this all revolves around the importance of the local church and how God wants to work through His church. That's why we want to encourage people to truly become a part of the local church, because that's one of the great ways in which God works in our lives. For many Christians who are disconnected from a local church and do not place themselves under adequate and proper spiritual leadership, and then they throw up their hands and wonder, why do I not sense God working in my life? And why am I not growing? And why am I not making progress? And maybe why am I not seeing more victory and overcoming things in my life? One of the things we can go back to clearly, Peter's saying, Well, God wants to put spiritual leadership into your life. Are you being willing to follow that spiritual leadership? And, and to learn from them and grow from them, because that's why God gives you spiritual leadership within the local church. Now, obviously, he starts out here, too, showing the responsibility that spiritual leaders have. And he's saying, hey, those of you who, who are called to spiritual leadership, you have a great privilege and great responsibility. And there's a lot on you. Because you've got to be the leaders that God called you to be so that the people, in a sense, underneath you, the people that you are responsible for, the people who have found you and want to follow you, then are going to benefit from that kind of spiritual leadership. I will say this. One of the tragedies I personally see in our day and age is that there are many Christians, or at least people who profess to be Christians out there, who don't even know who their shepherd is because they don't really have a shepherd, you see. They don't, they don't have someone that they can look to as their spiritual shepherd. And that's, that's a tragedy because I think all of God's sheep should have a shepherd. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that sheep should not be Without a shepherd. And then you've got the problem today of there are many Christians who have multiple shepherds in their life. And can I just say, no wonder there's a lot of restlessness and confusion amongst those sheep. Because I don't know about you, but I don't see any place in the Bible and even logically from life where sheep are called to follow more than one shepherd at a time. That's not going to end up well. You see, there's nowhere that that sheep anywhere in the world follow more than one shepherd at a time. One shepherd, you see. And so this is why Peter starts out this way. Now, I want to share a little bit of what Peter says to the spiritual leaders. But I don't want you just to go, well, that's for the spiritual leaders of my local church or whatever. But how does that apply to me? I want to bring that out today, what I think also God is saying to all of us, whether we regard ourselves as spiritual leaders in the local church or not, there's still a lot here for us to glean from. And I'll also say this, I, I think that we are blessed at the Oasis for the size that we are to have so many great leaders in our church from pastors who are part of our church to elders to ministry leaders and on and on we could go and and I think again again our future is bright because God is building a solid foundation of spiritual leadership in which he can build on for years to come out of this ministry so let's look at some of the things Peter says to the leaders First of all, I love the fact that he says, I'm just a fellow elder. I'm just a fellow spiritual leader. Even though he is the apostle Peter, he doesn't place himself up on some pedestal above others. He says, I'm also a witness. I'm one who can confirm firsthand what Christ suffered. I saw it firsthand. Then he says, I'm also the one that's going to share in the glory that will be revealed. He says, do you realize for those of us who know the Lord, we're actually going to participate in his kingdom when it comes and things are as they should be. He says, we're going to participate in that. We're going to share in that. And we've been talking a lot about that on Tuesday night in the book of Revelation. And so Peter's excited about that. I'm excited about that. Every day, every week, every month that goes by here on earth. And you continue to see the way things are on earth. I don't know about you, but the more I am just wanting to just... Lord, you can come in the rapture and you can take me to heaven and and you can change this. I'm okay with that. Because I want to be in that place where things are as they ought to be. Where God is acknowledged and glorified for who He is, finally. And, And where we as believers in Christ who placed our faith in Him, are vindicated for our faith. And I said, I, I want to be there, you see. And Peter says, "We'll all share in that. Then he says, I urge, I counsel, I advise the spiritual leaders among you, give a shepherd's care to God's flock. What does it mean to give a shepherd's care? Three primary responsibilities of a shepherd. Feed. Feed lead, and protect. Those are the three primary responsibilities of spiritual shepherds. Those are the three primary responsibilities of of physical shepherds. They are to make sure that the flock is fed. They are to make sure that they are leading the flock and that they make sure that they are protecting the flock. That's what it means to give a shepherd's care. If you like... Alliteration, and sometimes I can be a little OCD on that. uh, Use these three words to remember what it means to give a shepherd's care. Let's see if I can remember it now. Graze, guide, guard. That's what it means to give a shepherd's care. Take them to a place where they can graze, guide them as a shepherd does, and then guard them, protect them from what's out there. And again, you'll note that in the Bible, the the picture that God always uses of shepherds, including himself, is that we lead or to lead from the front. And we are to lead by example. We are not to lead from behind driving the sheep. We are to simply lead from in front and hope that the sheep will follow. You can't make them follow. But you hope that they will, especially adequate, proper spiritual leadership. So he says, give a care to God's flock, to God's spiritual sheep among you, exercising oversight. These words speak about accurately assessing the condition of the sheep. That's what it means to give careful oversight. In other words, a proper spiritual leader needs to be in touch with their sheep. So that they know what the sheep really need. They need to have the pulse, if you will, of their sheep. Well, obviously that means then that shepherds can't lead their sheep from a distance. Shepherds have to be amongst their flock and know what's going on. So that God and his spirit and his word can move in a way that when God is... is. is seeing what's really needed and what needs to be brought out and what needs to be taught and all that, that the shepherd is sensitive to that as well. Really, these are basic leadership principles. No matter what God calls us to lead, and all of us are leaders of something or someone, God says one of our responsibilities is to make sure that we are always accurately assessing the condition of what's going on. Are people tired and do they need to rest? Are they a little on the complacent side and need a little bit of a challenge? Again, these are the responsibilities that God places before us. And then he says, not merely as a duty. Don't ever become a spiritual leader because you feel it's an obligation or something you have to do. It's a calling. And it's something that you want to do, which is what he says. Willingly, voluntarily... I do what I do, we do what we do because we love it and we want to do it. Yes, it's a calling, but we should never get into a place as a Christian where what we do is simply, well, it's my duty, it's my obligation. That's why I've shared with Christians, you know, don't, don't come to church on Sunday or Tuesday night out of duty or obligation. You'll get very little out of it. You know, if you're just putting in your time and, you know, checking a box... But if you come because you really want to and you want to be there and you come with a sense of anticipation and an expectation of what God can do and what God wants to do as he works in our life, that's a whole different story. And then he goes on to say, uh, under God's direction. So even those in leadership always have to be willing to be led by God, you see. And then he says, not for shameful profit. No shepherd, no elder, no no spiritual leader in a church should do what they do simply because maybe they're going to get something back for it. Or or they shouldn't look at, say, ministry that, that they are being paid for as primarily a job that they get paid for. No, it's much more than that. Again, it's a calling of God. But he says, do it eagerly. Do it with enthusiasm is what the word means. Do it with passion, you see. And then he says, do not lord it, verse 3, over those entrusted to you. That means don't be domineering. Don't be dominating. You know, don't be a dictator. Again, lead, but lead from in front. Don't drive people from behind. And I love the fact that he reminds all of us, Of what God has entrusted to us. In a sense, Peter's saying, you realize that whatever you are leading, that these precious sheep of God, and they're gods, not ours, that they've been entrusted to us by God. So I'm going to come back to that in just a minute and tie that into all of us. So then he says, be examples to the flock. That's what God wants to see. And this is a great word. It's a word that means to, to give a positive, lasting impression on the sheep. A positive, lasting impression on the sheep. And then he says, again, when the chief... And notice he doesn't say if the chief shepherd comes back. Because there's no question Jesus is coming back. So he says, when the chief shepherd... Jesus Christ will appear. You will receive the crown of glory. You and I will be rewarded for effective leadership, stewardship, and service that lasts forever, he says. It doesn't fade away. How does God work in our lives? How does he create this divine masterpiece? Well, one of the ways he does it is through proper, adequate spiritual leadership in our lives. As leaders, are we the leaders we are supposed to be, that we're called to be? And then secondly, the other side of that coin is sheep. Are you following a shepherd? Are you following the spiritual leaders, the elders, the people that God has placed in your midst as examples and as leaders? Because it does no good for God to place leadership there and for the people of God to say, I don't want to follow. That doesn't work either. Again, there's responsibility on both sides. The leaders have to be the leaders God calls us to be. But the sheep of God, if you will, have to be willing to follow the shepherd and the leaders and the elders and the ministry leaders, whoever it is, you see. Now, how does this apply to all of us in this sense? God works in our lives. He Creates this divine masterpiece in our lives by urging us, prompting us, moving us to take on certain things as a believer. To take on leadership. And it's always, from God's perspective, something that is bigger than us. Usually something that you and I feel inadequate even to do on our own. And God has a reason for that. God says, look, I want all my people to learn and grow to be leaders. See, from a biblical standpoint, I disagree with the fact that leaders are born. I don't see that in the Bible. What I see in the Bible is that leaders are created by God as we choose to follow him and his plan and purpose and design for our lives. And all of us can grow to be the leaders that God intended us to be if we're willing to follow the spiritual leadership, if we're willing to follow God, and if we're willing to take on things that God is prompting us, urging us, moving us to do. Now, again, let me just say this quickly, not what other people think we should take on, not even what we think we should take on, but what we know God wants us to take on. Because God always wants us to be part of something and be involved in something that's bigger than us. Something that stretches us. If we can do it on our own, if we can do it without God's help, if we can do it without God's strength, if we can do it without God's wisdom, then what do we need God for? And how's that going to grow us? How's that going to create in us the work that God wants to do? How can that create that divine masterpiece that God wants to do in all of our lives unless we're willing to go beyond ourselves and take on something bigger? And that's why Peter talks about leadership a lot in this passage. Because when he talks about the fact, even to leaders, about the flock of God that's entrusted to you by God, whoa, that's heavy. And can I just tell you from a personal standpoint, hitting my 30th year of pastoral ministry, I have never felt in 30 years adequate on my own to be a pastor. So if some of you out there like, yeah, I just don't feel adequate to take on what God's calling me and prompting me to do. Well, join the club. But again, you and I will never grow and never see all that God wants to do with us if we're not willing to take on the things that are bigger than us, that we go, I can't see myself doing that. Because God wants to show us, you're right, Jeff. You could never do that on your own. But I want you to learn what you could do if you let me work through you. I, I want you to learn what you could do if you just let go and let me, you see. It's not a matter of what we can do, because all of us are going to start looking at, at our you know frailty and, and our failing and 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 where we fall short. And God always wants us to see, but it's not about you. And we see this pattern throughout the Bible. When God said to Moses, I want you to lead my people out of here. He's like, Are you kidding? I can't do that. I'm inadequate. And God's like, oh, I'll be with you. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the help you need with there. I'll do it. I want to show you what I can do through you. Keep your finger there. Go back to the book of 2 Corinthians for a minute, because this is really important. And then I got to get on here. We'll never finish. We'll never finish 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter forever. I guess there's worse things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see these couple of verses that have stuck with me for years and years and years. 2 Second, Second Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Paul says, now we have such confidence in God through Christ. Not self confidence, but my confidence, Paul says, is in God through Christ. Then he goes on to say not that we are adequate of ourselves. To consider anything as if it were coming from ourselves. But don't miss. Our adequacy is from God. Our sufficiency, our ability, our competency. Use whatever word you want. They all fit that definition of the Greek word. Paul says, my adequacy is from God. Do I feel inadequate, Paul says, to be God's apostle to the world of the Gentiles? Absolutely, Paul says. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, God made me adequate to be his servant of a new covenant. I just let God do his divine work in me. I, I just let God begin to create his masterpiece that took me from being Saul, the great persecutor of the church, to Paul, the great apostle of Jesus Christ. And I did that because I was willing to take on the things that God urged me to take on, that God led me to take on. Not the things I wanted to take on, not the things others wanted me to take on, but the things that I knew God was prompting me to take on. And I never felt adequate. Because if I felt like I could handle it, then where's the room for God? You and I will always know when God is doing a work in our life, and we are part of that work, whenever we are involved in something that we know is bigger than us. Something you and I can't handle on our own. Something we're not sufficient or adequate or competent to do. We know we're in the exact right place God wants us. Because that's where God begins to really do his work. When he begins to reinforce and reassure and show us. But it's not about you. It's about you learning to let me do it through you. That's what the Christian life's about. And that's why many Christians, can I just say stay at such a low level of growth or hardly grow at all and never really see the divine work and masterpiece that God wants to do in their life because they never allow themselves to go beyond what they know they can handle because we've become such control freaks that we can't stand to be in something where we can't make sure it's all under our control and that we can handle it. And God is saying to his people, like Peter, step out of the boat, my friend, and start walking on water with me. That's what God wants to see. So that's how God works. God works through what he moves in us to take on. Secondly, God works through relationships. God works through relationships. That's why beginning back in 1 Peter. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I got to go back there. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He says then to the younger first. In the same way you who are younger, be subject, yield to, cooperate with your spiritual leaders. And then he says to the whole church, verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Let me just stop here for a minute, because this is a great, great couple of words here. The words, clothe yourselves with humility. In the original language, it literally means to put on the servant's apron. Think of it even in the context of Jesus, the night on which he was betrayed at the Last Supper, when he had communion with his disciples that after the meal he took a towel and wrapped it around himself and went down the line and washed all of his disciples' feet same same principle I think I've shared this with you before that's why even a company like Starbucks this is an ancient thing that's why their baristas wear an apron an apron was always in history the sign of one who serves, because it was a way of sort of saying, "I'm I'm here to work, yeah, you know, I'm I'm here to get dirty." And any of you that ever worked at Starbucks like me, you know, you you know, you start working on those macchiatos and lattes and stuff, and stuff starts flying, and you come home and caramel sauce, and I know it's it's tough, but somebody had to do it. Um, but that's what it means: put on a servant's apron. And walk in humility toward one another. What's he saying there? He's saying, God wants to work through your relationships. Especially with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So what God doesn't want to see are Christians who are self-sufficient and self-reliant. Who say, God, I got this. I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't need to have relationships with them. I got this on my own. God would say, wait a minute. One of the primary ways I want to work through your life and work in your life is through other people. So if you're out there isolating yourself and doing and not walking in humility toward each other and saying, no, I, I'm interdependent here. That, that, that I need my brothers and sisters in Christ in order to become who God wants me to be. I can't do that Independently. See, we thrive in community with each other, which is why the Bible spends so much time talking about how we need to get along and connect and be friends and and work with each other and learn to be interdependent because that's the way God designed it. That's how he begins to create our masterpiece, even for those that maybe bug us a little bit. God still uses them. That's why the Bible teaches that we as, as Christians, as fellow Christians, are part of a body. So that's why Paul spent so much time in 1 Corinthians in the passage on spiritual gifts even saying, look guys, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. You're part of a bigger body than just yourself. So that means you're interdependent and just like the parts of our physical body that are all dependent on functioning together. In a cohesive, coordinated, cooperative manner, he says that's the way Christians have to look at their relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ. God never intended for me to be part of his body and yet do my own thing out here. He says you've got to learn to be part of a body because that's how God will work in our lives. That's how he will begin to create that divine masterpiece. Not in isolation, but in connection and community with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why he says to Christians, get rid of pride. Pride here meaning self-reliance, self-sufficiency. We need a shepherd. We need spiritual leaders in our lives. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to learn to put on a servant's apron and walk in humility toward each other. Because we really are dependent on each other. And I will never become all that God created me to become if I don't allow myself to get around other brothers and sisters in Christ and glean from them and grow from them. And yeah, every once in a while, even be, what's the word I want to use? Bugged by them, I guess. See, we, we, we just reject that. And yet in the Bible, I mean, look at how God used, say, Saul in David's life. Look at how God used Joseph's brothers in Joseph's life. It's not always that the relationship is necessarily good, but God will use it to grow us and to do his work in our lives. That's why we need to be humble and not go, I can do this on my own. That's why he goes on to say, and God opposes the proud. Literally, the word means he lines up against it. Now, I know we're not in football season. In fact, we're getting ready to start baseball season. But this, to me, brought up my football days. Because it, what it literally pictured for me was God literally lining up on the line of scrimmage. And I'm on the other side. That's what the word oppose means. God is lining up against me if I'm proud. That's not going to work, you see. That's what God thinks of proud people who are self-reliant and self-sufficient and say, I don't need God. I don't need spiritual leaders in my life. I don't need other Christians in my life. I can do this on my own. God says, no, you can't. And I'm going to line up against you every time. He says, but God gives grace to the humble. God will give all the spiritual enablement and empowerment to those who say, God, I need you. I'm lacking. I'm not adequate. I'm not sufficient. God, I need your help. And God, I know that sometimes you're going to even work through my brothers and sisters in Christ and I need them. I need their encouragement. I need their prayers. And I need to be willing to support and encourage and pray for my brothers and sisters. So that it can be a mutual thing. We need each other, God. I can't do this on my own. And God promises, verse 6, that he will exalt us. He will elevate. He will set us on high. He will lift us up at the most appropriate fitting time. But again, it's in God's time, not in mine. This also reminds us back to that great picture of Jesus wrapping that towel around himself and being willing to wash the disciples' feet. That one of the other things he's saying here by putting on a servant's apron and walking in humility is as Christians, especially as part of his body, none of us should ever get to a point where we think that that's beneath us, whatever that is. We should always be willing to humble ourselves and do even the most menial tasks. Something that was profoundly, and for you guys, it might not, it's probably not going to hit you as greatly as it hit me years ago as a young pastor in my 20s, but There was a man that I still greatly admire as a spiritual leader and as a mentor in my life. His name is Woodrow Kroll. He was a general director at Back to the Bible for years and years and years and taught millions of people over the radio every day. Brilliant man. One of, back before he became general director of Back to the Bible, he was the president of a Bible college in upstate New York where we were ministering for number of years. And one of the things I heard about Dr. Kroll is that one day these prospective students were driving into the campus and this guy was out there with a shovel uh, digging up some dirt and planting some trees. It was him, the president of the college. And he's out there, you know, getting him getting dirty and just doing what needed to be done. It was a small college. You know, it wasn't like they had all this extra help and they were on a limited budget. These prospective students didn't even know that he was the president. They're like, hey, where do we go to sign in and whatever? And he's giving people. all these. Later on that evening. Obviously, they're going to meet the president of the college. You know, he wasn't like, oh, I'm the president. You know, he never even said anything. And they come into the auditorium to meet their president of their college and hear the same guy that was out there planting trees or shrubs earlier that morning was the one standing before them as their leader. Folks, to me, that spoke more to them and more to me than anything Dr. Crow could have ever said. It's like, don't get so high up in whatever role or position that we have, that we fail to be willing to do whatever should be done. One of the greatest definitions of leadership I ever heard was from a, a gal who said, you know, Christian leaders are those who are willing to pick up packs. No one else is. There's a pack over there. Other people pass by. The leader is the one that picks it up. It's sort of like the Good Samaritan story. The religious leaders who had great power and position all passed by the person that was hurting by the side of the road, but the Samaritan was willing to stop and tend to the man and actually take him to where he could be helped and even paid for the night's lodging and all of that. That's Jesus said, the kind of people I want my people to be. That's humility. And then he says, if you and I will humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that's important. In other words, realizing that at any time, hey, anything can change, and God's mighty hand can change it. But let God be the one to change things rather than me trying to make it happen. Because God wants to, again, do a great work in my life. And I am his divine work of art. And I have to have the faith to know God could change this at any time. And therefore, if God's not bringing about this change, then there must be a reason why God wants me to stay in this place or this position. There must be something else I need to learn. Or how God wants to grow me more. And so I'm just going to stay here until God sees fit. Too often today, Christians are like, I'm out of here. I'm making something happen. I'm not waiting on God. God's too slow. God's not on my timetable. And God says, if we are willing to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he'll take care of things in his perfect, appropriate, fitting time. Because he knows the exact time to change things. And to change our circumstances. Which is the last way God works in our lives. He works in our lives through urging us and prompting us to take things on. He works in our lives through relationships. And he works in our lives through the circumstances of life. Notice what Peter says in verse 7. Great verse. He says, one of the ways we show God that we're humble is being willing to cast all our care on Him because He cares for us. And how I mean God working in the circumstances of life is for this reason. There's going to be circumstances that come into our life, these weights. And these weights and these circumstances and these trials and all of this is going to remind me, hopefully that other believers of mine, other brothers and sisters and other people are going through similar things and therefore... What the circumstances of life should do is begin to build in me a sympathy and an empathy and a compassion for other people to realize it's not just about me. And other people are going through hard times too. And hopefully it will make me more sensitive as I go through more and more circumstances of life to get to a place that Paul talks about in Galatians 6 where he says God wants us to learn as his body to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If I'm not willing to help another brother or sister carry an extra heavy load every once in a while, then what's that say about me as far as the work that God... Because God wants to get me to a place where I am willing to bear other burdens. And that's part of the reason why the circumstances of life will come into my life at times. And sometimes extra heavy loads. He wants me to be more sensitive to that. So that I'll be more sensitive to others and help them lighten the load. But God ultimately wants me to learn in my humility that when these extra heavy weights come into my life, that I don't carry them. I don't carry them because God never meant for me to carry them. He meant for me to learn and grow and become his divine work of art by throwing those weights literally over on him and letting him carry it because he never meant for me to carry it. That's what verse 7 means. Because God understands that if I don't learn to take these weights off of myself, then this divine work of art of his is going to begin to crumble and be crushed under the weight of life. And we all know that to be true. If you and I as human beings carry around weights that God never meant for us to carry, we will begin to break down physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's why physically there are such things as high blood pressure and Ulcers and anxiety and all of this. Most of the physical ailments that people have are traced back to the fact that they are carrying around weights that they were never meant as a human being to carry. And sad to say there are many Christians who have a relationship with a God who says, I'll carry that. Throw that over on me. Let me carry because I never meant for you to carry that. And yet they shoulder this weight, this load, over weeks, over months, over years, and they begin to break down. And my friends, I've seen it. I've seen too many people broken by the weights that they refuse to give up and throw over to God. They continue to carry those weights Until they are literally crushed underneath of them and fall into the ground. Remember, Peter says, God cares for you. That word means that God has a great affection for you. He doesn't just love you, he dearly loves you. That's why we are called the beloved of God. And the word also means that God not only has great affection for each of us, but he is very interested in our lives, in every detail of our lives. And what is a care to us becomes a care to him. But he won't force us to throw that weight over. He won't force us. But what he will do is send his word and his spirit into our lives and say, child, don't carry that weight any longer. You are being crushed under that weight. You are physically paying a price. You are emotionally paying a price. And you are spiritually paying a price for carrying that. Don't carry it any longer. Peter could have also been having this verse in mind. One of my favorite verses out of the Psalms. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never, no, never permit the godly to be toppled or overthrown. Psalm 55, verse 22. Throw your burden upon the Lord. Peter is saying to each of us, we are a divine work of art. We're a work that God wants to do the moment we accept Christ as our Savior and the rest of our Christian life is just allowing God to work. And Peter says, here's three ways God primarily works. He works through what He wants us to take on. He works through relationships. And He works through the circumstances of life. All in a design to bring about in our lives, hopefully, a Christ-like character, but also a greater dependence on him and a greater in- interdependence on one another. Rather than standing out there proud saying, I got this. And becoming self-reliant and self-sufficient. As the worship team comes to lead us in this last song, a song that folks will come and dismiss you by rows to go back and get the elements this morning. I want you to be thinking about this and what Peter has said today. As you and I pick up those elements that symbolize our Lord's body and His blood, I want you to also think about what is it that God wants me to take on? That he can use to create in me his likeness. What relationships does God want me to have in my life? And especially today as you go and pick up something from that table. What is it that God may want you to lay down today at that table? And say, God, as I take up these symbols of your body and your blood, reminding me of your great sacrifice and love for me. I also acknowledge and recognize that I've been carrying around in my own life a weight that I was never meant to carry. And I'm paying a heavy price for it. And so, God, as I take this up today, I'm laying this down today. Let's pray. God, thank you for the work you want to continue to do in our lives. And thank you, God, for the truth of the song we sang even before the message this morning, that you never give up on us. Your love never runs out. That you, no matter how often we resist you, no matter how often we say no to what you want to do in our lives, God, you will continue to come back around And just lovingly and firmly say, will you let me lead you? Will you let me work in your life? And so, God, I pray today that as we as a church observe communion, observe your table together, that, God, you would remind us of these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.